As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello. Hi, it's Amanda St. Hilaire from Fox 6. How are you? Hi, Amanda. Okay, I am recording. Uh, first, can you say and spell your first and last name for me? Sure. Uh, name is Dave Daniels, D-A-V-E-D-A-N-I-E-L-S. For the purposes of this story, what's your official title? What should we call you? Well, I'm uh, a member of the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation Board of Directors and a dairy farmer. We're in the middle of Kenosha County, down in the the southeast part of the state here. We have 575 dairy cows, uh, which we milk three times a day. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're uh, a multifamily operation where we have uh, two partners and then some younger generation people coming in to play. Plus about eight, nine employees that help us out milking cows and growing crops for our animals. It's been a tough three, uh, three or four years. After years of financial struggles from dropping milk prices, Wisconsin dairy farmers were just starting to see some relief. Then the coronavirus pandemic hit. Economists say lawmakers need to act now. So what are state and federal leaders doing to cushion the economic blow of COVID-19? From the Fox 6 studios, this is a special edition of Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm here with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Brian. Another social distancing podcast, and we got some pretty good response from day one, so let's dive into day two. And and there's no way to avoid it. The COVID-19 virus is going to leave behind serious economic damage. Amanda, you've been looking into what, if anything, politicians can do to cushion the blow. And I was especially interested in this question, Brian, because the state Senate canceled its March session over coronavirus concerns. You know, we're supposed to be avoiding these large gatherings. State lawmakers convening to take a vote. That's a large gathering. But they also didn't immediately release plans to meet virtually, which they have the capability to do. So that made me wonder, are they just going home? Realistically, can they do anything? So I called up UW-Madison economics professor Stephen Deller. I think the governor and the Republican leadership in the Assembly and the Senate need to sit down, put their political differences aside, and say, what can we do now to respond to this crisis? And my fear is that uh, we're going to let politics get in the way. Deller says there are two unique parts of Wisconsin's economy we all should be watching, manufacturing and agriculture. So, of course, small businesses are struggling right now. Every industry all over the country, all over the world is getting hit by this pandemic. But he says what makes Wisconsin unique is manufacturing and agriculture. And that's because in Wisconsin, we have roughly the same amount of manufacturing jobs as we did 50 years ago. That's not the norm. It is not that way in every state. And on top of that, federal data says our total output for manufacturing in 2018 was $63.31 billion. Agriculture... That's billion with a B. Billion with a B. $63.31 billion. 
Agriculture contributes more than $100 billion to the state's economy each year, and almost half of that is from dairy. So when all the coronavirus shutdowns hit these industries, when they hit farmers like Dave Daniels, the ripple effects hit us all. The tough part is that uh, we're not sure how much cheese is going to be ate now in the future because people can't go to restaurants uh, and meat sources that usually people eat are in restaurants are beef and pork. And so we're not sure if those are just going to back up into the supply chain uh, and just kind of sit there and wait. And, and that's what decreases the prices. Okay, so it's bad. The question is, what, if anything, can state lawmakers do to make it, I'd say, better, but maybe just to make it a little less bad? Yeah, so there are a few different options that both Dave Daniels and Steve Deller brought up to me. So Steve Deller, the UW-Madison economist, pointed to Wisconsin's projected budgeted surplus. So it's estimated that by summer of 2021, Wisconsin would have around 620 million dollars. Now that certainly isn't going to negate the negative impact of coronavirus on the economy, but he says if state lawmakers and the governor can agree on how to use it, and if they can agree, that's a big if, because just in recent weeks there was a big battle over that before really the COVID-19 effects started to hit us, then they can use that surplus as kind of a one-time injection, so grants for agriculture, manufacturing, public health, um, for example, the small rural hospitals. Obviously, there's been talk about doing things with small business, but he said that can at least help. Um, it won't totally eliminate those negative effects, but that was really something he pointed to. But the big thing was, uh, Steve Deller said, they need to act fast. This isn't something we can sit and wait several months to do because people are already feeling this financial pinch. And the big question then becomes, can you get these usually you know, partisan opposites? Does a crisis bring them together? Does a, a crisis get people to set aside those differences to get something done and get something done fast? Exactly. So as of recording, Governor Evers had announced that he and uh, the Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald and the Assembly Speaker Robin Voss Voss and Fitzgerald are Republicans. We have a Republican-led legislature, and Evers is a Democrat. They haven't had a great relationship. They notoriously haven't really had that many meetings. They've announced that they're going to try to meet daily, daily, about coronavirus and try and figure out things they can do. Now, it's a nice well, I, thought. I know even, even earlier this week, Fitzgerald, uh, you know, Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald, said that he had already had several meetings with the governor, which historically would be unusual for them to meet frequently. It is. It is. So that is one option. When I was speaking to dairy farmer Dave Daniels, he said there are already existing pieces of legislation that would specifically help his industry. So to, to backtrack a little bit here, it's it has been a rough last several years uh, for Wisconsin farmers, for farmers really all over the country, especially dairy farmers, because milk prices have been low. And so that's something that they've been struggling with. There's been a lot of talk about how to help Wisconsin farmers. So for example, there is a piece of legislation that passed the assembly. It's sitting in the state Senate 
that would provide tax relief to farmers. Dave Daniel says if the state lawmakers can come back, take care of some of that, that would help his industry. Now, economists say the problem with tax relief is that it takes a little while to work its way through the system, and that's why they're pointing more toward grants and other things that can act a, more a little faster infusion. here. Yes. So, uh, and of course, there are always philosophical disagreements on how to act in a crisis and whether you make more lasting changes, whether you do kind of a one-time injection. So this is going to be a back and forth that I think goes on for a while. But while I've been covering the story this week, I think for more context, we actually need to call uh, Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi. So let's give him a call right now. He's going to be on speaker here. We are flying by the seat of our pants We are. Technology. Can you hear me? Hi, Jason. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. So, Jason, we were just talking about the push for state lawmakers to use surplus money to help cushion the economic blow of coronavirus. So what else can they do or have they already done? So yesterday, Governor Tony Evers had a call with the top legislative leaders in the Senate and the Assembly, including Speaker Voss and Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, and they talked about the next steps. But coming out of that meeting, uh, it was really interesting that the statement from both the Republican leaders there, uh, they, they said, well, it was a good, productive call, which is what we often hear when, when there's high-level high meetings like this, a uh, productive call, and we're going to continue talking. They're going to continue talking on a daily basis. So nothing concrete came out of the call, but uh, the governor has specific asks that he's asking from the legislature. One is, uh, is to delay this waiting period right now by state law, there's a week waiting period between uh, unemployment benefits when somebody can actually get those unemployment benefits. And uh, Governor Evers wants the legislature to move quickly on uh, removing that one week waiting period. Jason, I I was reading about these meetings that the governor's been having with uh, Republican leaders. And while that's unusual, they meet frequently. They're talking about having potentially this special session to deal with some of these things. But if I read this correctly, at least as of a couple of days ago, they're talking about the soonest that session could happen. This extraordinary session would be late spring. So April, even May for the industries like agriculture and manufacturing that are looking for something quick. Is that soon enough? Yeah, that's exactly what I've been told as well from Republican insiders that uh, what they're looking at right now is maybe two to three months before the Senate would be back in session. So, yeah, you're right. We're looking at late spring uh, as the time for the Senate to come back in session to deal with these with these uh, particular asks from the governor to really help the economy right now. That's really struggling. You've seen so many people. Uh, eight, uh, uh, an NPR poll, NewsHour poll uh, just released this week found that 18 percent of Americans polled uh, have either lost their job and laid off or had reduced hours. So you can see this is really just skyrocketing with the number of people that have been hurt by this. Uh, but again, the state legislature right now, there's no plans to come back into session. And, and one of the reasons given by the Republican leadership is that their members are older. They're, the ages there is older and older, and those are the most vulnerable people for uh, for the uh, catching the coronavirus the coronavirus. So that's why they're trying to protect their people by not coming back in the session. So the the big question is, well, then can they come into a virtual session? And I actually got my hands on a letter um, from Roger, from Roger Roth, the president of the state Senate, and he wrote all of the senators 
telling them to be prepared for a possible virtual session. And, and what this means is by state law in, in a state of an emergency like this, um, they, they could potentially meet virtually. They do have the capacity to do that. They do have the legal ability to do that. But it's just do they have their computers at home? Do they have things like this? They do need to have all that in place. And there has been some pushback here as well from, from at least one of the Democrats from Milwaukee, who uh, Senator Carpenter, who says, well, you know, we need to meet in person. But, of course, the state is limiting uh, meetings. So, I mean, the, the general advisory is that there should not be meetings of larger than 10 people. And when you bring the legislature back, you've got aides in session, you've got lobbyists there, you've got all these this activity, a flurry of activity. And so if they bring people into the Capitol, will that then expose more people to the coronavirus? Did Senator Carpenter say why he wants to meet in person? I mean, certainly there's a public health concern, but I understand the sense of urgency for wanting to get something done, can't that be accomplished in a virtual meeting? Yeah, that's, I mean, you would think that that they could potentially uh, do it, uh, you know, have this thing virtual and have the debate. I mean, one of the things that you guys are, the name of the very podcast is is uh, open record you know looking at uh, how do you keep this meeting open i mean it is the american american rights and our rights to be able to to monitor our government and nothing's happening secretly so those sort of contingencies would need to be in place that this session if it was a virtual session would need to be uh need to be something that was open transparent where everybody could talk where the lawmakers could talk and and you know just worries about technology i think but as far as senator carpenter what he's saying is uh, he says it's his job to be there in person to represent his constituents. So that's pretty much what he's arguing is that this should be a, an actual physical session. Uh, and uh, he, he just thinks that that needs, that needs to happen in person to, to really have a discussion on these complicated issues. Thinking about technology, I mean, I, I, you know, just there could be a lot of worries, especially when you've got the aging population of our state legislature. Are they going to be able to have a full, robust conversation? Uh, the leadership, it seemed from the letter that I got my hands on, it seemed like, yeah, they're, they're going to have uh, legislative staff helping get people ready and up to speed if that virtual session is called. But as of right now, there are no plans, at least there's nothing planned publicly for that virtual session, but they're trying to get the ball rolling in case they do need to call that soon. Jason, do you even know, is there even a discussion about the logistics of how they would do something like a virtual session? I mean, is this like one giant Zoom meeting or, you know, how would this go? I'm trying to, you know, you talk about the age of the legislature. That's kind of how it would be. I, I don't know if what the branding would be for, for a virtual meeting, but uh, they did ask in this letter, they, they said it is, and this was underlined, so they, they really wanted to emphasize this point. It, is the responsibility of the state senators to travel with their state-issued laptop. Uh, so they, they feel like that that laptop would be more secure. It would uh, have the ability to uh, to make these kind of conversations. And then there's the, the Legislative Technology Services Bureau, the LPSB, which is a group we probably have never talked about on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> they are going to be actually going to the to the senators and and working with them to make sure that their equipment is connected and they can operate remotely but we're in really uncharted territory so what actually happens i mean this is all the things that have to happen behind the scenes before a session can have actually happen and again it's uncharted so we'll see really how this all plays out but it's something that's at least being discussed right now at the state legislature we have and we were talking about this a little earlier the relationship between the legislature and the governor Oh, we know it's been tense at times, to say the least. You covered the fight just last month over what to do with Wisconsin's projected surplus before the coronavirus issue really ramped up. So how realistic is it to expect them to 
get to some kind of agreement here? Well, one of the things, and also just, you know, I I most recently was covering Congress in Washington, D.C., and one of the things I always noticed there was, yeah, there's a lot of partisan bickering on the issues of the day, but when it comes to a national emergency, it it really, it puts the, you you can see how it brings lawmakers together. So just, for example, in in United States Congress, they've just recently passed two emergency bills. They're, They're actually working behind the scenes right now today on a third bill to really help the American people in light of the coronavirus. So I think when push comes to shove, lawmakers can get things done. You, you do think you do see that there has been a lot of uh, conflict between the governor and the state legislature and getting things done and debating what the net best policies are. You, you mentioned that budget surplus estimated to be six hundred and twenty million dollars through next uh, through next year through 2021 through June and uh, so what what should be done with that money uh, they couldn't agree on it this time around but now that the coronavirus is exploding in the state and in the country uh, I, I think there is a likelihood that something will happen but again it might take a few months it, it seems like right now like I said they might not be back in session until late spring I was gonna say on on the federal level uh, since you brought that up can you take us through just some of the highlights of what has been passed and what's being discussed when it comes to economic relief. Yeah, and just so uh, when people are, are listening here, uh, you know, this this is all a, really a work in progress, and it, it really is being hammered out behind the scenes. There, there have so I'll tell you what there were two there were two bills that already passed and signed into law. The first one dealt with the health care system. The second one uh, passed Wednesday in the Senate, and and the and the president has signed it, and that was what they're calling the uh, Families First. Coronavirus Response Act, and it, the emphasis really is on the families. So uh, think about think about what that does. It provides um, paid sick leave for 14 days for all the people that are, um, you know, having to self quarantine, take care of kids at home, uh, just you know, making sure that people have a little bit of funding coming in when they need to take a sick leave. Uh, this uh, bill that that passed uh, this week also. Uh, does something with providing free coronavirus testing, which we've seen has been a major issue across the country. And uh, it also uh, does does things like that. But so that was the second phase. So there's really the the three phases. The first is the healthcare system. The second is the family's benefit, which which I just mentioned. And interesting enough, just to remind people, our senators, uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin voted for this bill. Senator Ron Johnson voted against it. Uh, And I did speak with Senator Johnson Wednesday, and he said, that that sick leave provision would would potentially really hurt small businesses, which are already cash strapped with with the current uh, lack of business coming in, you know, restaurants closed, bars closed, uh, sports shutting down. He just felt like having that sick leave added on to what businesses are already providing would would really hurt small business. That's why he voted against it. Uh, But then the third bill that's going to be proposed, this is one that's still a work in progress. So we're seeing a whole flurry of proposals uh, but what the Trump administration, at least what we've been able to gather so far, is it's going to be possibly a $1 trillion economic benefit. Uh, we're looking at checks being written to each and every American. So that could be $250 billion the first go around. They're going to actually send out possibly two checks. The first would be sent out in April, the second in May. And again, this is all work in progress, but at least that's what's being discussed right now on Capitol Hill in Washington, uh, $250 billion 
in April, $250 billion in May. Uh, this also, this third bill would also pump money into the struggling airlines and, and other sectors, as well as uh, providing for more help for small businesses, including being, being able to provide payroll for several weeks um, for these companies that may, maybe don't have business coming in because people are quarantined. People are uh, not able to go out into big groups. They're not able to go to the bars because the bars, you know, are larger than 10 people. So all these things that we're seeing playing out are, are hurting the economy. And, uh, you know, we saw today the jobless numbers um, coming coming out that uh, 70,000 people had, had applied for unemployment benefits uh, uh, recently, so last week. Um, so it's just, it's really uh, incredible how this has just hurt so many people. Jason, it, you, you talk about the, the, the direct payments that could be coming as a part of this. And, and I've had conversations with people who have said in the past when this has been done, you had, you know, maybe we were dealing with a sluggish, sluggish economy or a recession and those payments, the intention was people would get that money. They would go out and they would inject it right back into the economy. They would spend it. They would buy things. But when we're in the midst of this social distancing and shutdown, is there some concern that you're going to put all this money out there? People don't really have any way to spend it, or at least they're limited in how they can get that money back out and, and get the economy moving. Right. I mean, are, are we, is everybody spending that, uh, for example, Senator Baldwin's proposal was that each American uh, adult would get, uh, would get, uh, what was it 2000 or yeah, I think it was 2000 or $1,000. So, uh, what, what the long story short is, what are you going to do with that money? Is everybody just going to flood Amazon with, with their money? If they're not able to actually go out to the stores, they're not able to go out to the, to the malls and, and, and things like that, the bars, the restaurants, the places where they would kind of infuse the economy. So that is a big question. I know when I spoke to Senator Ron Johnson yesterday, he said he would rather take that $250 billion or however much money they're going to be doing in direct payment. He'd rather take that money and invest it in finding a cure, finding a vaccine, you know, being able to take care of the medical side of things. So that's why he was sort of opposing uh, the president's proposal of the cash infusion to Americans via a check to, written to American people. And we should note that even no matter how much money we flood into, for example, getting a vaccine ready, uh, even even though they're starting to do trials, if everything goes perfectly with that trial, vaccine's not going to be ready for another 18 months. So this is something that uh, we're certainly going to be talking about for a very long time. Jason, thank you so much for taking us through that. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Great having you, Jason. Talk to you soon. That was Jason Calvi, Fox 6 political reporter. And we should note, he mentioned this, but I want to mention it again. Everything's changing so fast that some of this might have changed by the time this podcast episode airs. And that's okay. We're trying to bring you daily updates here so that you have a better idea of what's going on with the big picture of how this pandemic affects you, but a, a lot to think about after everything that Jason just took us through. And you know, Amanda, we started with agriculture, which is a big thing here, and obviously manufacturing. You look at uh, Hartley, the one that really struck me yesterday uh, was the announcement that Harley-Davidson is suspending production. And that's one that when you talk about what's unique to Wisconsin. There is no brand that is more signature Wisconsin than Harley-Davidson. And when they say they're suspending production, it's it's kind of a gut punch. Um, it really tells you how this is affecting the local economy. And I think that's why it's important to remember that while we started this episode talking about agriculture, every industry is going to get hit in a different way as this pandemic continues. But we're really struck me in the conversation that I had with dairy farmer Dave Daniels is that he seemed calm. He wasn't panicking. He said panicking 
isn't going to do any good. He's just trying to find a way forward. And maybe it's because farmers are used to weathering the ups and the downs. But he ended the conversation with a sentence that I think is going to stay with me for a while. You have to work with uh, the problems that you have uh, and the challenges and work through those and hope for better times uh, down the road. Well, thanks, Amanda. We're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at the investigators at foxxnow.com. That's T-H-E investigators, no spaces, no underscores, the investigators at foxxnow.com. And thank you to the people who made this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.